Food photography is one of the most essential pieces of creating a successful blog post, but the process of getting a good photo can be daunting. In today's episode, we're chatting about the food photography process, how you can streamline yours, and ultimately how you can go from good photos to ones that make an impact. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume, and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the podcast this week. I am so excited to be interviewing an expert today who is going to share all about your food photography process and how you can streamline it and ultimately be able to make a bigger impact with your photos. Now, our guest today is Dutta Macha from My Food Lens, the photography-focused podcast. And before I get into her official bio, I just have to say that this episode is one you are definitely going to want to bookmark and come back to. I was completely overwhelmed in the best way possible at the information that Dutama, or DJ as she also goes by, was able to share in such a short amount of time. She went so detailed in describing each of the parts of the food photography process and broke them down into three distinct phases. And it is just really helpful to see and hear where you might be able to streamline your efforts for your food photography. Now, let me officially introduce Dutama before we dive into the actual episode. And like I said, you're definitely going to want to bookmark this and come back to it. Or I highly recommend checking out our show notes where you'll be able to read through the details of this episode as well. Dutama is an architect turned food stylist, a commercial food photographer, and the first South Asian woman to host a food photography podcast called My Food Lens. After 15 years in architecture, designing healthcare facilities around the world, she found her passion in food styling and photography. She runs a successful business helping clients and other photographers around the world. A commercial and editorial photographer, she's worked with several prestigious clients and her work has been featured in a range of food magazines. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode, so let's get right to it. Welcome, Dutima, to the podcast. I am so excited to have you today. I would love for you to just get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself, tell us about your background in photography, and kind of tease us about what we're going to talk about today. All right. Well, first off, thank you, Madison, for having me. We've been connected for so long, and I'm so glad that you're finally getting to do this. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm a food stylist. I'm also a commercial and editorial food photographer. I'm based in Singapore. And uh, what's ironic about my life is that I was not this a few years ago. I was an architect. So after 15 years of being an architect, I switched to food photography. I set up a business from scratch and I've just been able to scale it since. I also have a food photography and business podcast. It's called My Food Lens. And so, yeah, I'm just having fun uh, using my architecture background in food photography and seeing how this creative journey turns out for me. And I think, yeah, and you said, uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're definitely talking about food photography. We're going to talk about the power of uh, good 
food photo and the impression that it can make on a viewer, um, how it can sell, how it can like, how it can make you do things that you don't imagine. So we're going to talk about all of that today. And I am just really excited for this conversation because as we were talking before we got started, food photography is such a key part of being a food blogger. I would say it's equally as important as the recipe itself. And so I'm just excited to talk about the food photography process and how to make that more efficient. I'm all about saving time, but making like the biggest effort where you can. And I think food photography is one of those areas that it can make or break a blog. And so I'm excited to talk about that. I do want to hear a little bit about how you got into food photography from architecture, because I can see how those are related in terms of creativity, but it is kind of a big shift. So what inspired you to kind of go down that journey of food photography? Uh, literally, I stood on a tall cliff and I jumped. It was that. It's nothing more than that. It was a gut feeling. It was a thing that hit my head. I was taking a break. I was in between jobs. I had done, I was in a very intense corporate uh, environment and I used to love, I used to design hospitals for a living, cancer centers, you know, I've done that around the world. And it was really, it's not, it's something that I was passionate about, but it's not uh, the you know, it's not the easiest thing on your on your <laughs> on yourself to do. And I was in a very intense environment. I was taking a break, and I when I was taking the break, I was cooking a lot. That was one thing I loved. And I started posting things on Instagram. They got a great response. And then somebody one day said, "Oh, can you take a photo for me?" And they were willing to hire me. And I was like, "What is this? Is that something? Is it a sign?" I don't know if it was a sign or not. I'm like, "Let's just do this. Let's just see where this goes." It was literally like. I had never held a camera in my life. I had never held a DSLR. I'd never used a DSLR in my life. And I took that jump and I was like, let's just start a food photography business. Let's just see where it goes. And I took that leap. I taught, I taught myself a lot of things. I learned a lot of things from other photographers around. But what I realized in this process was that my architecture background was playing a huge part in taking me halfway through there. So when I talk about composition, I talk about colors, aesthetics, geometry, symmetry, Fibonacci series, the you know anything of that sort, I came from that background. So I had a bit of an advantage. That didn't seem like the struggle, but the struggle of finding you know the technical part of photography, that was definitely a huge learning curve for me. And I think that also the business side, I was involved in the client side. I was pitching, I was, you know, facing the client, I was sitting in meetings, I was doing all of that in my architectural career. And I think I brought that back into the food photography business as well. So I knew a little bit about it, but I still say that I was unqualified, unfunded, and uneducated about food photography when I started the business. Not my original, but I use it all the time. So I think my architecture career helped me in many ways, but in many ways I had to help myself, you know, just move forward. Yeah. And I think so many food bloggers can relate to that because I mean, none of us are born like I'm going to be a food blogger. Like you have some sort of corporate background or at least education background that is applicable in a lot of ways because food bloggers do so many things. Like it's just, I can't even think of a career that wouldn't be applicable in some way to food blogging because it is so extremely diverse in what it requires of you. And I can totally see from looking at your photography and just kind of knowing what you do, how your architecture background plays into that. And I think that is like an innate gift that you probably have like that eye for those compositions and using geometry. And, and so I'm excited to just like dive into a little bit of these things because- Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I think some of these are going to be so 
like they're so second nature to you, but they might be very foreign to somebody else. So mm-hmm. let's start just, let's just map out, I guess, like what the food photography process is like, how do we define that? Because I think there's probably a lot of parts of that process that people don't even realize are part of the process. So mm-hmm. maybe can you just like walk us, you know, from the beginning of that process and what the different phases are of it? Yeah, sure, Madsen. I think that's such a great question because we all love to take photos of food, whether we are sitting in a restaurant or we are cooking something. And then when we don't understand why something's working, something's not, when you really put all the steps together, you can understand what's missing and you know what's really playing a part. So when we say, when we talk about the food photography process, it's actually just a series of steps that you need to take to be able to have a good photo in the end. Actually, I shouldn't say good photo, um, an impactful photo in the end. So food photography is not like landscape photography. It's not like portrait photography where you naturally have a scene that you need to capture. The challenge about food photography is that you have to create a story from scratch. And and someone who uses the process versus someone who doesn't is the difference between an effective photo and one that does not make an impact. And I, I, I corrected myself. I don't want to use the words like I don't want to use words like good and beautiful because they're subjective. What we are really talking about is a photo that brings results. We are talking about a photo that is technically sound. We are talking about a photo that is well executed. And when we talk about that photography, that photography is actually a sum of like several decisions that collectively come together. They're collectively put together to have that final, final photo that makes that boom sort of an impact. So if we really talk about the steps or all those decisions that go into creating that one final impactful product that brings you results, it can actually be broken down into three phases. So I break down the whole process into three phases. The first phase is everything you need to do before you set the food in front of the camera. The second phase is when you bring the food in front of the camera, when you're shooting, all right? And then the third phase is when you're done taking that photo. Is, is that the end? Not really, all right? So, what the, so again, when we get into the steps of what every phase involves, so even before you put your food in front of the camera, that's where you do your major heavy lifting, all right? So the first phase, it's, I call it the pre-production phase, and that's when you actually go and you establish the hero. You always establish the hero in the beginning. Who's the hero? Who's the sidekick, right? Who are the supporting stars? So you might have 10 things on a table, but you only have one hero. So establish your hero, keep your focus on it. Second thing is you decide the mood of the photo, whether you want a bright photo, a moody photo, an airy photo. What is the emotion that mood can bring to your viewer? Because every food brings an emotion with it, a feeling, a mood with it, right? So Food is an emotion. We have to think about it like that. All right. Then the third step is color. Food is also a lot about color. So you establish your palette. You know, am I going to go uh, the complementary way, bright? Am I going monochrome? Like, what is it that I want? The fourth step you uh, do is you choose your story. That is, you choose your props, your backdrops, you know, and you already have your color in place. So you know how to choose your props and backdrops. So you have to pay attention to the sequence that I'm talking about here. It's really thought out in a way that those are the steps that make your next decision easier. So then we talk about step number five. Step number five is deciding the camera angle. You can't just shoot food in whatever angle that you placed your camera. You literally have to capture that one photogenic side that's going to hook your viewer and get them into your page. All right. 
And once you have all of those decisions, your step number six is that you have to create a concept. You must sketch out something, even if you doodle like a five-year-old, do it on a piece of paper and keep it in front of you. It's really going to be a chichi when you shoot, all right? And then step number seven is deciding the light, the position of light. When you have all those decisions taken, you must start off and have a vision for, I'm going to use this sort of a light from this direction, you know, depending on whatever light that you use. So it's seven steps, but you do them before before you even put your food in front of the camera. So once you have your cake in front of your camera, you need to do three things. One is make sure that your camera is tethered to your laptop so you can see it big and clear. You can check your focus. You must also make sure that you're shooting on a tripod. I know that it's, you know, it comes down to budget and system, but it's definitely a practice that I would recommend. And then the third thing is that you need to modify your light. So you never ever shoot in whatever light that is available to you and be at the mercy of that light. You need to shape that light. That's your responsibility as a photographer. And that's really a make or break. So you're doing these three things and then you take your shot, you troubleshoot, you problem solve, you do whatever you need to do to come up with that one photo in the end that you absolutely love that showcases your food in the best light. But once you take that photo, once you're happy with it, it's not the end. You move into the last phase, which is the post-production phase. And that really is where it uh, brings it all home, right? Really, you need to edit it. You need to enhance it. You need to make it come alive. It is a raw photo that you turn into a masterpiece. It's literally the last piece of the puzzle. You skip it, you miss it. Like, you know, so I know it sounds a bit lengthy. It sounds like, oh my God, there are like 10 steps over here. But really a well-executed photo is well thought out. And, you know, every step has a part to play. And I know that whether you shoot with a phone, whether you shoot with a DSLR, no matter what camera you're using, the process remains the same. And the process is important because we know that a good process gives a good product. So, yeah, that's what I'd say about the whole you know, process. Yeah. I love that. And I, like, I'm already seeing so many things that I do out of order or differently. We'll just put it that way. But I can see how this process and thinking of these phases helps you go from just a good photo or a beautiful photo to one that is truly impactful. And I just love that concept. Um, what do you think, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to some of these phases and the examples that you gave, cause I have some questions on them, but I first am curious, like, what would you say the different results that you can get with an impactful photo versus just a good or a beautiful photo would be? It's exactly, it's the result you want. I mean, you never set out, you never put out a photo thinking, oh, let's just see what it's going to do. You put out a photo because you wanted to do something for you, right? You either want somebody to come and like the photo, admire your skills and get inspired and become a better photographer, or you put it out in a recipe and you want somebody to come and drool over it and be like, this is the recipe I want to make. You could also be collaborating with a brand and you are like, I just need to sell that bag of cocoa powder. You know, you just want to sell their product so you can make a commission out of it. There are so many different purposes for which you put out that photo. If you know your purpose, if you know your intention of why you're putting out that photo, you can not only create the photo from that vision, but you can also, you know, make sure that that's the result that you're looking for, you know? So I think there are, it's, it's whatever you want out of it. A picture has so many ways that ultimately you're making a sale or you're selling something, that photo, that idea, that concept, that recipe, that food, that product to the viewer. So, so I guess that's what an impactful photo does. 
For sure. And I think with, you know, the opposite of that being the good photo or the beautiful photo, someone might stop and, you know, their feed and like it for a second, but they're going to move on. They're not going to take inspiration Mm -hmm. from it, or they're not going to save it for later because they want to make it. It's really going to just be like a passing moment versus something that captures them and makes them take action. I think that might be like the simplest way to define it is an impactful photo will help someone to take the action that you want them to take. Absolutely. You said it. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, so let's dig into these phases a little bit because I can see how just hearing these three phases can be probably overwhelming for someone who maybe isn't doing all of these steps. But Mm -hmm. I think it's a muscle that you probably have to practice and like strengthen that muscle. And then it becomes something where you can't even shoot without it. Like your example of the tripod, it's like, yes, it's cumbersome at first to get used to using that or tethering to the, the laptop, but those things can help you make better photos in the end. So going back to the prepping phase, Mm -hmm. this to me seems like the phase that makes the biggest impact in your photos, because without it, you're just kind of like playing around and like seeing what works. So let's, I guess, do you have any tips on making that phase work for you? Because I think, like I said, this is kind of the make or break of whether or not this is going to be a successful photo shoot for you. So what are some tips for like, preparing for that preparation phase? I think it's all in the, I, I really, I'm, I might not give a very popular answer to this, but I think to make anything work for you, you want to have to want to make it work for you, right? So the thing is that when bloggers, so most bloggers are used to doing things in their own way, they have their own rhythm, their own set ways. And when you are you know, introduced to a new style of working, you might be doing many of these things, but you're just doing it in a way that might not be the most efficient or, you know, something that's really uh, or missing a step. So whenever you are posed with something new, you are always, we as human beings are always resistant to change. So the number one thing to prep yourself to be like, okay, I'm going to do this is to have the value of it you know, in front of you to know that this is ultimately going to save you time. You're ultimately going to become a better photographer. You're ultimately going to pitch those brands and get those, you know, collaborations. You have to get the value. You have to set that value for yourself. And once you understand that, you're like, okay, I'm just going to give it my best shot. And then you just pick. I I always feel that for me, if I am going to pick up something that feels burdensome, I remove the burden part out of it. I'm like, okay, let's just let's just make it easy, all right? When you look at all the steps, let's say you are let's say there are seven steps in phase number 1 and you are only you're currently you're doing five of them and you're skipping two. Why don't you just pick one of them? and say that, okay, for my next photo shoot, I'm not gonna do all seven. I already do five, I'm gonna do step six, I'm not gonna do seven, I'm just gonna try that out, make that a little bit, get familiar with it, incorporate that, and then I move on to the next level. So I always feel like, take away that pressure, ease into it, and take one small bite at a time, and then slowly, you know, don't just start doing everything on at one time, you're gonna overwhelm yourself if you're not already doing it. Let's say you're doing all the 10 steps, you're just shuffling them and doing them in different phases well then just try to realign them you know maybe bring one or two things forward maybe take one of two one or two things backward maybe you're not editing your photo and once you click you're just like yeah go upload you know no just try just tell yourself i don't have much time i'm going to do 10 minutes worth of editing let's just see what difference it makes 
when you begin to see the difference, when you begin to see the value of putting in just that extra time or, you know, just making that extra effort or just reshuffling your process, it's, it's just going to motivate you. It's just going to want to make you, you know, do it more and more. And like you said, that at one point you're going to get so comfortable and you're going to get so used to it that when you don't do it, you'll be like, oh goodness, something's off, you know? Yeah. And I, I think all of these, even just having the order of how you're going to do things, like I can see how establishing the hero of the photo before you choose your props and your backdrop, that is going to make such a difference in how fast you can do that versus you might choose some props and a backdrop that doesn't work halfway through the photo shoot because you didn't think about the hero of the photo. Like I can totally see how it builds upon itself and helps you to think forward about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, then having the the tips of what to do in the shot and editing it for sure. Just, I'm, I'm already excited to use these yeah. <laughs> in my next photo shoot. Um, so I would love to hear, what do you feel like are some of the biggest time wasters that people are doing within their process that make it inefficient? Well, you said that the first one, you just said it. And that is, uh, you know, not knowing where you want to go. I feel like that is such a time waster because what happens is, let's say I made a chocolate cake. It's like driving without knowing where you want to go. You're like driving, la, 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 la. And then you're seeing this, you know, oh, that looks pretty. Oh, that looks pretty. Maybe I'll stop there. Maybe I'll stop there. You just don't know where you're going. Ultimately, you've spent so much time, but you, you, might, you might stop at a destination. You might think it's great, but you don't know that something even better waiting for you just around the corner. So it's kind of like that. If you start without knowing where you want to go, then you're not going to reach where you want to go. And again, it's not going to create the impact. It's not going to bring you the results. So like you said right now, you know, uh, let's say I have a chocolate cake and I'm like, doo, 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 just bringing it down my front of my camera. I'm like, oh, let's use this new backdrop that I got. Oh, let me put, you know, this whisk. I got this from uh, Martha Stewart. I'm just going to put it. I want it in my picture. You know, then you're bringing something else. You're bringing something else. And they're like, oh, that doesn't look good. Like, let me switch it out. Oh, that backdrop doesn't look good. Let me bring a blue one. And you're switching out. You're going back and forth. You're hitting, trying, you know, hidden trial is happening ultimately you're going to get a good photo in the end something you like but what has happened in the process is that you have gone back and forth so much you've done the hidden trial so much boom 30 minutes 40 minutes 60 minutes are gone in hidden trial versus if you start with a vision you're like narrowing down your selection you know exactly the prop choices you have you're not like do, 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 now here now there no you are like this is it this fits my vision this hits the mood this hits what the client wants and you you're staying very focused so knowing where you want to go is essential and i literally i call it the time monster like you know not knowing where you you want to go is a time monster the second one is being lazy you know if you skip a step so Actually, I shouldn't say that. The thing is that we are all strapped for time, right? And sometimes you're like, oh, let me just, you know, I don't need to think about this right now. I'm just going to put this off for when I start shooting. So, you know, when, when uh, let's say we, we're shooting a chocolate cake and then I'm like, oh, you know, let me not think about color and light or props right now. Once I start shooting, I'll just figure it, I'll just figure it out once I'm, you know, shooting. But what happens is when we are shooting, we are 
posed with a ton of curveballs. You know, there's a lot of troubleshooting that has to be done. You have to modulate your light. Your focus might not be working. Your camera might do other things, you know. So you are troubleshooting, you're problem solving, but at the same time, you're also taking all those decisions that you didn't take. So you are like juggling between them. You're overwhelmed. You're like, oh my God, this is not working because you did not follow the steps in the sequence. You left things off for later. What would have taken you 10 minutes before? Now you're spending 30 more minutes because you're doing 10 other things along with it. So skipping a step might feel like you're saving time in the beginning, but boss, you're not. You're going to spend 30 more minutes doing it later. So it's just one, you know, skipping a step is another time monster that I call. And then I think the third time monster, which I feel is like you said, not prepping and planning in advance. Now, I have to say food bloggers are a community that I've seen as one of the most planned, organized and efficient community I've seen, you know, because if you don't do that, you really can't hit the road, you know, but sometimes cooking can be a long process. And I'm not just talking about time, you know, cooking can be a long process. You spend the entire day cooking. And if you're planning to shoot on the same day, then you're out of energy and one thing that I've realized is that photography is not light on energy. You really have to be on your feet. Your mind has to be active and alert. You have to use your energy physically to be able to move things, work on your composition, get your light ready. And you have to stay creatively activated because you want to create something that pops, right? And if you have used all your prime energy in cooking, by the time you come to the set, you're like, oh, let me just, you know, let me just get done with this. Like, let's just get get this over with. And and so you've spent your entire energy creating this masterpiece of a chocolate cake. And the one thing that can really get you results you begin to take shortcuts because I know that when I'm tired, I really take shortcuts. I'm like, oh, let's just forget that. I'm just going to go with this and I'm good, good to go. And then again, you're, you're back into skipping steps. You're back into time monster. It's just a vicious cycle. You're back circling, spiraling and boom again, 30 minutes gone, you know? So it's, it's really, I think there are three time monsters. One is not knowing where you want to go Two, you are not prepping and planning in advance and three, you are skipping a step. So none of them work really. Yeah, absolutely. I think that any of those three things can totally just get you off track and again, not get the results that you're looking for. I would love to hear if you have any specific tips on how to reserve that energy. Like you mentioned, you know, if you've been cooking all day, then you get to the photos, you're going to not have the energy creatively to work on actual shooting and doing your best at it. So do you have any tips on saving that energy or I guess working in a way that is energy efficient once you get to like the actual shoot? Oh, definitely. And again, it might not be the popular answer, but the thing is that there is no other way to do it. And I think food bloggers would get it more than anyone else because there is so much involved in their process. If you really look at the food blogging process, I think it can be divided into two or three segments. And one would be just the, you know, cooking and the recipe development part. Then the second becomes the writing part. And then the third becomes the visual part. We're talking about the visual part right now, but really, you know, streamlining the process or saving that energy comes from using your energy correctly. You know, that's what I would say. And that again, comes down to being organized, being systematic and planning in advance. So I hope that I say this word correctly, but it's something that I learned from other entrepreneurs around the world. And I think it's a French practice. I hope I'm saying it correctly. It's called mise en place, mm -hmm. I think. And mm -hmm. it is 
about setting everything for yourself in advance of what you need to do. So it's about having everything ready for yourself the night before you actually need to do it. So let's say you're cooking or prepping. Uh, you need to shoot, you know, first of all, I usually don't like to cook and shoot on the same day because they are both energy intensive. And that's why, let's say I need to shoot a cake. I would cook, the, I would bake the cake the night before. If I'm shooting something savory, I would make it the night before. If I'm, if I'm shooting something like a salad, I would literally prep it and put the veggies in the fridge so that the only thing I do on the set is assemble it and style it. So I'm really conserving my energy for the photo shoot. But also in terms of photography, I feel like once we go through all the decision making, do it a day in advance. And the night before you want a photo shoot, get your props out. Get that one backdrop that you decided, put it out on the table for yourself. Make sure batteries are charged. Make sure your laptop is ready. Make sure your tethering cable is there, your tripod is there. The problem is that we spend so much time and energy going back and forth from the kitchen, going, lifting up backdrop, doing that. It physically exhausts us. And once you're physically exhausted, you think you can be creatively, like mentally creative. No, you can't be. So conserve your energy. Do all of the prep work the night before. That's the time where it's it's really, you know, it doesn't need so much brain power. So you all it needs is a little bit of physical power, right? So get all that in place, Miss and Plus. Get it in place for yourself the night before. You're setting yourself up for success for a high energy day the next day so that you're not spending any physical or mental energy in prepping yourself. Your prep is done. You just go, you roll, you shoot. I love that. And I could not agree more. I think there's a lot of things that can be done from an efficiency perspective so that you do have the creativity left over. Because like you said, if you're physically exhausted, you are mentally exhausted too. Even if you feel like I'm still sharp, I've still got this, or I'm going to pour myself another cup of coffee and just push through. But Mm -mm. I have tried that so many times and had to reshoot things later on because it just fell flat because I didn't have the creative energy I thought I did. So Okay. There was one other like related, but kind of subtopic that we wanted to talk about. And I know that our listeners are, would be really sad if they, if we didn't talk about this. So in our last few minutes, I would love, let's go back to this idea of an impactful photo. And I Mm want to talk about it through the lens of traffic and bringing more page views to your blog. So I would love to hear if there's a couple of things that you can think of that food bloggers might be doing with their photography that are hurting their page views. And we've talked a lot about the process and that type of thing, but if there's something, I guess, in the end result of the photo that is edited and it's put out there that is, you know, impacting the traffic that they could be getting if they did this one or two things. Right. Absolutely. Madison, you're right. And you know, I read somewhere again, you might have a better hold on statistics, but I read somewhere that there are like over 60 million blogs alone on WordPress worldwide. And out of that, like 42 or 43% are food blogs. So we are talking of millions of food blogs, you know, and, and that's where we are sitting. That doesn't mean that, you know, we are floating in competition, but it also means that we need to make a more powerful impact. And, you know, we know first impressions matter. We also know that a picture is worth, worth a thousand words. So you put them together and you're like, Think about it for a minute when someone comes on your page, are you making that impression with a picture that is worth a thousand words? And 
just think about that for a minute, especially if somebody's coming from a platform like Pinterest, which is so visual, right? Most of the recipe searching is a lot of it happens through, you know, Pinterest or Google and people are looking at images. So I don't need to emphasize the power of a good or an impactful photo. But if we really if we if we really think of, you know, the result or the trajectory that we want our viewers to take is let's say they are on Pinterest and they look at this magnificent photo, they're like, ooh, that looks good. Ooh, you know? And then they're like, oh, it 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 makes them click the link and then they come on your page. And then you have this you know, even uh, an even more impactful photo, and it's like a hook. So they stay on the page, they scroll a little bit more, they explore a bit more. And then you want them to continue to be there and be like, ooh, enticed by that recipe, and they're inspired to make it and there or, you know, buy that product. And then you want to still keep them there and go a little bit deeper, you know, the ultimate level where they leave a beautiful comment or they make the recipe and they come back to leave the comments. So it's not just about making that first impression, but also to have them return to your blog. I think that is also a very important thing that they don't just bounce off and they make one recipe and they never come back. All right, so returnable viewer is another you know, result. And I think that the one deal breaker in creating an impactful photo is the light every photographer talks about it everyone is like a broken record but i can't emphasize this enough so imagine that you are contemplating which restaurant to go in town and you look at a menu there's no photo on the menu you look at the menu and you're like wow it has everything that i want to eat and then you go on the website of the restaurant and they have these really dull poorly lit kind of you know unappetizing like not not something that pops you know you're like oh i don't know if the food is that good you know really and then you look at another menu and you're like okay i have maybe a few things i like on this menu and then you look at the photos and it's like boom popping you're like ooh, i'm drooling over this it looks delicious i'm gonna go to this restaurant even though you don't like everything on the menu their photos made you drool and that's why you're there like that's such a common trajectory or thinking and that's exactly what we need to bring to our photos as well so lighting is key and what happens is that when we use things like, you know, the light in our dining space, we use light in our kitchen. Sometimes we are cooking in the evening. Sometimes we have only so much time. We have a toddler who's crying. We have a family who's waiting for food. We have a full-time job that we are reporting to. We have all of those situations. We are so time strapped that we only have those many hours. We, 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 you know, we tend to use the light that is available to us. And I think that is the biggest mistake that one can make in food photography. You don't need props. You don't need composition. You only need one ingredient in your photo to make a powerful impact. And that is light. Light has the power to take out texture. It has the power to highlight deliciousness. It has the power to hook somebody into a photo to hire you to, you know, work with them. So the way to use light is that tap into natural light tap into what is available to you and if you don't have that available if you are shooting in the evening then definitely invest in budget artificial lights these light is a game changer try to understand why you like a photo why it looks delicious and you will come to one conclusion it's the way it looks it's the texture that you know it makes you taste the food just by looking at it so i would say the power of light is like definitely not overrated when you have strong lighting it literally pulls the viewers attention into it it makes them feel like oh this is high quality if they see a photo as high quality then they think that the blogger is serious that oh that might 
must be a really you know serious blogger that recipe must be really tried and tested it must be good let me go and make it so definitely they want to stay on the page and they want to explore the second way that i think that people can you know one way that people bounce off a page is when they don't like what they see the second way that they bounce off a page is when they don't get enough of what they like so that happens when we don't use the correct camera angle. So let's say that I have a chocolate cake full of berries on top and I'm going to take that shot from top and I can really see the chocolate and the berry and all its glory. But what if I shoot that chocolate cake in a three-fourth angle where I can see the front of the chocolate cake, I can see the top of the berries and I can see the slice coming out. I'm giving a full 3D experience to the viewer. I spent 10 hours making that masterpiece of a chocolate cake. I'm going to give one hell of an experience to the viewer so they don't go and make the 100 other chocolate recipes that they're seeing. They're going to get hooked to this one and they're like, I just want to make this and then I'm just going to eat this and I'm not going to share this. You know, that's the impact of a powerful camera angle we can literally create a 3d or 4d experience from it so i think uh, that's something that sometimes bloggers don't pay attention to they take usually flat you know top top down shots are the most popular ones because they come naturally but exploring the angle and finding that photogenic side of food is very very important to also set your photo apart from the hundred other chocolate cakes and then the third one, which I feel is such a huge opportunity for food bloggers, is the power of storytelling. So when you, you're not just giving the finished product to the viewer, you're literally cooking is an experience for you, right? That's why you're doing food blogging. That's why you're so connected to food. So what if you take the viewer on that journey with you, you know, right from the ingredients, maybe to your shopping in your farmer's market, to the ingredients, to the cooking, to the final product, and finally coming up with maybe a scene where they can imagine themselves sitting and eating that cake, maybe a table scene, maybe something that shows hands, a little bit of an action where they can literally feel like you have taken them through the entire experience of cooking. The other thing it does is when you're just putting out similar or, you know, variations of the same photo, people are like, oh yeah, I just saw that like a second ago. I just saw that, you know, but when you're creating a range of imagery, you're telling a story, you're making the viewer buy into your story, you're connecting with them emotionally and they are scrolling all the way down and staying longer in your page, which increases your chances of them making that recipe. So use the power of storytelling. You're already doing that in your cooking. Do that in your photos as well. And I think the last thing that I feel that can really hook a viewer into your page is the power of colors. And we don't often see it like that but look at any food that you shoot every food comes with its own you know um with its own power of making that impact. Look at salads, it's vibrantly green. Look at a curry, it's vibrantly yellow. Look at chocolate, it's lusciously, seductively brown. It might not be red or pink, but it's seductively brown. So you have the power to create colors that make a viewer just, you know, uh, just, just get immersed into the page. What happens, the mistake that, you know, photographers make is that uh, the colors can sometimes look unsaturated. That means less color. Sometimes it can be overdone, oversaturated. I'm sure you've seen salads that look like this fake green, right? It's just too green. It looks unreal. It's fake. People don't buy that. People will not buy it. People will not relate to it. They will bounce off your page. But when you hook people with just that real, that, uh, you know, amount of pop, of color people immediately relate to it they're like oh yeah 
I love how it looks. It's it's fulfilling my eyes and then it's going to fulfill their palate. They're going to drool and they're going to stay on the page a bit longer. That's the visual aspect that you can think about. The power of color creating a palette that hooks people. So I would say number one would be light. Light is a non-negotiable. If you don't do anything, just focus on light. The second one would be your camera angle. Think about that from a technical point of view. The third one would be storytelling. Use emotion and the power of your ingredients. And the third one would be color. Use it as a visual tool to make your photo pop compared to the hundred others that the viewer might have seen. Those are so good. And I think those have such an impact even in getting someone to your website in the first place. But then I love the way that you described how it keeps somebody on your website, because that's something I talk about all of the time. You know, we don't just want to get someone on your website and then have them leave. That defeats Mm -hmm. the entire purpose. It's not just that one page view we're interested in. We're interested in someone who cares about what you're doing and who cares about that story that you're telling, but you have to give them something to care about in the first place. And I feel like I'm like salivating, just listening to you talk about the food. So like actually (laughs) seeing it would be even more impactful. So I absolutely love all of these tips that you've given. And I think they're going to give people so much to try in their next photo shoot. And I'm excited to try them in my next photo shoot as well. Um, I know that you have a free resource that you wanted to talk about, and I would love for you to just share how people can continue to learn from you and get connected with you because it is very clear that you have so much more to share about this. And I hope that we'll be able to have another conversation in the future more in depth about this. Yes, absolutely. And one thing, Madison, that the world might not know is that I didn't set out as a food photographer. I started off as a food blogger. So I really understand the pain of this. And I created a free resource. It's called the 10 step photo shoot. And even when I moved to food photography, I realized my biggest pain point was my process and the time it took for me to take a photo. And that's how this free resource was born. It was born out of maybe 3000 hours of doing photo shoots. And so I've come up with a very brief, a very like, um, you know, to the point kind of a guide, which takes you through the 10 steps you need to take to take a photo from beginning to the end all the way. It's the guide is super easy. It's literally 10, 12 pages. It takes you through the description of every phase and why and what you need to look at, you know, look at in that phase. And in the end, I leave you with a checklist. So you can always have the checklist in front of you. It's like boom, 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 boom. So that when you're photo shooting, you're like, ah, oh, this is not working. You can check your steps and you're like, did I miss that? Did I think about that? And it immediately gets you back on track. So it's a free resource. It's called the 10 step photo shoot. And I think it can be a real chichi for anyone. It can be a real guide for anyone who's really trying to streamline and, you know, uh, struggling with the same pain point that I had when I started. Absolutely. And really, it's it's not even just the streamlining of the process, but it's also trying to make better, more impactful photos. And I think it's it's just really nice to hear that those two things can go together. Like you can have a simple process without having simple or boring photography, because it's very clear that these two things can just make it that much easier for you to have that impactful photo without it like really draining you. And so absolutely, that link will be... Absolutely in the show notes for everybody. And I will definitely be downloading it for myself. And um, I'm just excited to see more from that. So would love for you to share where people can stay connected with you and just continue to learn from you on food photography, which you are obviously so passionate about, which I love. 
<laughs> All right. So I usually hang out a lot on Instagram and you can find me on Instagram at Dutima underscore my food lens. I also have a food photography and business podcast. If that's your jam, then we are my food lens and we are available on all uh, major platforms, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. We have a Facebook page, which is also my food lens. Our website is my food lens. So if you just go for my food lens, you'll find us everywhere. <laughs> so come yeah, join up, you know, fun conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot for people to continue to learn from you. And I am just so thankful for you coming on and talking about photography. I think this, this is, I think maybe the second time, maybe even the first time we've talked about photography, definitely at this like in depth of a level. So I know people are going to have lots of notes. So thank you again, Dutuma and DJ as your nickname. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks Madison for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.